bold vision, inspirational leadership, drive, determination, creativity. Welcome to Secrets of Staffing Success, a podcast where we talk to innovators and thought leaders in the staffing industry to discover the strategies and tactics that make these top performers stand out. And here are your hosts, the co-CEOs of Haley Marketing, Victoria Kenward and David Cerns. Over the past year, we've heard a lot about remote work, company culture, diversity, equity, and inclusion, and of course, recruiting and retaining talent in this rather unprecedented time. These issues have become a big concern for all staffing companies and their clients. Today on Secrets of Staffing Success, Vicki and I chat with Amy Bingham, the founder and president of Bingham Consulting. For the past 14 years, Amy has consulted with staffing companies to help them improve sales, recruiting, operations, and executive leadership development. On this episode, we talk a lot about what it takes to develop tomorrow's staffing leaders, how companies are adopting to hybrid and remote work, and Amy's view on the keys to success for small to mid-sized staffing companies in the years ahead. And we also chat about cookies. Keep listening for that one. Secrets of Staffing Success is brought to you by Haley Marketing. This August 2021, Haley Marketing will celebrate our 25th birthday, a quarter of century serving the staffing industry. As part of our celebration, we're doing what we do best, giving away lots of ideas. As a thank you for listening to our podcast, we'd like to invite you to a very special event. On August 19th, we're having a day-long Smart Ideas Summit. We're bringing together many of the industry's top consultants to share their insight and advice. There's going to be 14 sessions filled with amazing ideas to help you achieve new levels of success in 2021 and beyond. You can learn more about the event at haleymarketing.com forward slash 25 bash. And if you happen to be listening to this podcast after August 19th, you'll be able to access all the recordings for on-demand listening. Again, that URL is haleymarketing.com forward slash 25 bash. So Vicki, I know today we've got a great conversation coming up with Amy. And we're gonna have a lot of fun talking about what's going on in the staffing industry. But I know you're gonna have a question that is much more important than anything to do with staffing. Because Amy's <laughs> from Orlando, and I won't spoil the question. But I know we're not going to start with anything about staffing. So with that really bad intro, let's bring on Amy to chat with us. Amy, welcome to Secrets of Staffing Success. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Hello, Dave. Hello, Vicki. Nice to see you again slash meet you. Can't figure out which one yet, but nice to be here. So are you curious what my question is? Very. Very. So I happen to be huge fan of a particular bakery in Orlando, actually in probably uh, Disney Village and and East End. And I'm wondering if you've been there and if you know what it is, because I have to give this bakery a plug. Any idea? A bakery. Yeah. A specific bakery. Not like, um, the heck is the name of the donut place? Nope, not donuts. donuts. That's a universal. No. So I, you know what? No. All right. Have you ever heard of Gideon's? No. Oh, my. I, was, I live here and I've not heard of your favorite bakery in Orlando. Okay. 
I drove what David, we drove three hours, three hours each way to get Gideon's <laughs> like I'm and stand in line for several hours to get Gideon's. I mean, okay. they're, at Dis- they're at Disney Springs and the day they opened, they had a 12 hour wait to buy a cookie. Okay. When did they open? Um, they're well, yeah. they're Disney Springs hours. So they're there. They're 360, 365 days a year that you can go and stand in line. You can actually yeah. sign into their line. Their cookies are about a half pound each. The inside of a chocolate chip cookie almost is like the cookie dough. And the outside is, is like just chocolate chips covered with chocolate chips. And I'm a fitness health nut. And I would go out of my way for these cookies. You and I can go out of my way for those cookies. I, I have. <laughs> So I am not aware, but I bet my daughter is, my 21-year-old daughter. Probably. I bet she knows of Gideon's. And I, we're, we're down at Disney Springs every now and then. That's why I wondered when they opened. Perhaps I just haven't been down there since they opened. They've been. No, because yes. I am a sugar junkie. Well, you got to try it out. You definitely do. And then you have to take a look at them on Instagram. Their branding and marketing is phenomenal. Yeah, I was going to say, we can absolutely use this as a marketing slash staffing segue, because what I love about them, you know, any, any good company start by making a great product. So the owner of this company came up with his cookie dough recipe. I think Vicky, you told me the story. He, he made a batch of cookies to to do in a little kiosk in, in the East End in Orlando, was expecting to sell so many, made what he thought was a three week supply and sold out three weeks of cookies in four hours. Yeah. And it just kept going. And love those stories. Disney reached out to him about opening up a shop at Disney Springs. And then Disney worked on him and their branding is unbelievable. It's cute. It's edgy. You look at it, you'd think this is a cookie shop. I mean, it looks like it's all goth and it's got these crazy little characters that are both look kind of evil looking and really sweet all at the same time. You'll have to look at their website to understand what I'm talking about, but the branding is great. You walk in there and you're like, holy crap. I just dropped a hundred dollars on cookies. Literally. (laughs) That sounds like it appeals to the Gen Z group in particular, the up and coming Gen Zers. That sounds like exactly what they want, right? They don't want buttoned up in corporate. So maybe this is a good segue into staffing. Thank you. Well, it, yeah. it is. And one of the growth things about his company, and I'll get off this company in a minute, but there, he, he is growing by leaps and bounds. And instead of automating and replacing um, with technology to make these cookies, he just keeps hiring people. So he's going to have a staffing issue on his hands if he doesn't already, but it does. It is very much Gen Z and it is very much where we're headed in staffing. Yeah. yeah. So, Amy, let's transition a little bit because- I know um, in addition to consulting to the staffing industry and and being in the staffing industry, um, one of your hot buttons is helping younger professionals develop their skills. And you have a program called Millennial Mentors. And I was planning to save that to the end. But since you brought up the Gen Z, let's start there. Would you tell everybody a little bit about Millennial Mentors and why you decided to do this? Yeah, so um, this is something that evolved organically through my practice, actually, in consulting to um, my sweet spot is uh, small to mid-sized firms, right? So, you know, firms under primarily under under 50 million um, and, and some significantly smaller than that, 5 million, 10 million, 25 million, et cetera. Uh, I found I was getting inquiries, and this is a couple of years ago now, 
it's getting um, calls from baby boomer owners who had someone perhaps tapped, maybe it was a child in the business mm-hmm. or just a you know hypo, high potential um, producer, had somebody tapped and in mind to succeed them. But there was a big gap between where they were now from a knowledge perspective about the industry and particularly about leadership, right? Leadership issues and financial uh, management of the business and many other things. A gap between where they were now and where that owner, him or herself was. And it's, it's like this issue kept coming up. How do, I, how do I bridge this gap? Because I want to retire sooner than later. This was the owner, right? Very common story. Mm-hmm. I'm in my, you know, perhaps late 50s, early 60s. I don't have anybody ready to be me yet. Or I do. I, I have kids in the business, but they are not ready to run it. And I am not, I'm just not comfortable passing it off to them, but time's ticking. And, you know, in terms of my life, I want to go have the freedom to go do what I want to do. So I've got to get a break quickly. So that's how, that's how it was born. I said, let me just meet this need. And you guys are business people. You know how that, you know, how that happens, right? Yeah. We have Your similar customer issues. says, I need something and you deliver. So I built a, what was originally a one-on-one and I still offer that but a one-to-one, one-year program based on what I call the Vital Nine Staffing Industry Leadership Disciplines. Leading people, leading process, leading business results, strategic leadership. So really, it was a program that we tackled one of those disciplines every month, and then we did some fine-tuning mm-hmm. the last three months. So it was a one-year program. I had graduates of that program, um, and it's, it's been very successful and I've gotten people ready for bigger jobs. That's what I promise. My promise is I will get you ready for a bigger job, whether it's you're a recruiting manager now and the owner wants to give you COO type responsibility, um, whatever it may be. So I bridge that gap, transferring knowledge. So since why- that time though, I, I, I built group programs and really that's what I'm doing more of now is group. So visualize a, you know, mastermind kind of class. But it's, I'm taking the same content. I've got maybe 15 staffing people on it from all sectors, all levels of management who just want to learn, you know, to up their game. So we're doing weekly calls and a little less structured, but that's how it was born. But still that vital nine, is that your curriculum? Actually, I, I, I pulled out for the group program, it's 12 weeks, and I focus on leading people, leading process and leading results, because those are the three, you know, from a blocking and tackling perspective, if you're going to, if you're going to own a staffing firm, you, you have to understand how to hire, develop, motivate a team. So we spend, you have to cultivate your emotional intelligence. So we spend a lot of time on that. Mm-hmm. And then I go into process, standard operating procedures, how to put those together, KPIs and ratios. Um, and, and then with that bleeds into sort of the, the, the results piece, which is holding people accountable, the performance management piece. So we pack all that into 12 weeks. It's open enrollment. I've done two so far. I'll do another one, probably start at mid-September. And that'll be the final one for the year. So that's a lot of fun because they learn from each other too. Yeah. Yeah. So... I'm thinking like before a program like this existed, you've been consulting with the industry now 
since what, 2007, if my memory is correct? So 15 going on 16 years, yeah. Congratulations. So how did businesses develop people before this and what difference does it make to have a program like this? So I think what leaders are looking for when they want someone's business acumen, leadership acumen developed is to ease their own pain, right? So they have two paths to that. They can train this person themselves and that, you know, they, when they do that, it tends to be very unstructured and very ad hoc. Um, I think what's attractive to leaders about this program is they can alleviate their pain quickly by outsourcing it to someone else who understands their world, who has lived it, who has developed teams, who has led process, led results, and has, so it's really, you know, it's like any other outsourcing kind of arrangement. It's, I could do this myself, but there's somebody else who's doing it in a very structured way, who has all the experience I have, and that's very attractive to me. So I'm going to roll this person in this program, whether it's the the boutique one-to-one or whether it's the, uh, the group program, which is much more affordable, uh, but, you know, it, it is a group. It's not an individual solution. So I don't know right, if that so answers your question. It, it does. And we get this, you know, we get the constant, well, not we, we hear constantly people complaining about the millennial generation. Yeah. And how, what do you find to be the most successful ways to help these people build the leadership skills? I mean, you've got the curriculum, but I mean, how do you approach the training? How can other leaders approach training their teams to be successful in building skills? Well, you know, the, the millennials, by the way, the, the, the oldest millennials are now 38 years old. They're not so young anymore, right? <laughs> They're in the, the height of their careers. Yeah, just don't tell them that. <laughs> you got it, right? So what's in, what I find interesting about, and I love working with millennials, and I, I, I'm beginning to love working with Gen Z leaders as well, for much the same, many of the same reasons, although there is a little bit of a difference. But the millennials um, do bring a different take to their work. They are, as we all know, they're much more focused on um, work as a means to live a full life, Right. The generation I was raised in, believe it or not, I'm I'm a I'm a baby boomer, a young boomer, but it was all work, no play, you know, 80 hours a week. It was not, you were not, you were living to work. And that was the mindset under which I and many of my peers in this industry that own firms or in executive positions with big firms, that's the mindset we were raised under. And so it's very hard for us to switch our, this is what I found. It's been very hard for my clients to realize that they have to meet the millennials where they are. They're not going to change for a baby boomer. And so I spend a lot of time delivering that message to my clients. Look, and I've got an example of that, a recent example, but um, you're, they're not going to, they don't have to adapt to your ways of working. You have to adapt to theirs if you want the best of them and you want them to be the future leaders of your company. So you'd be better served to figure out what makes them tick. So I spent a lot of time talking to people that. I think you just have to, and and years ago, I embraced that. I said, these are the future leaders. Um, They do think differently. 
I'm on the way out, they're on the way up, you know, who has to adapt to here? If, quite frankly, selfishly, I want somebody to succeed me, then it's got to be, it's got to be give and take, right? I can't force my, my mindset, my work mindset, or my leadership mindset on someone who thinks a little differently. So it's about adaptation more than anything. So that's going to come full circle for those millennials as this Gen Z group starts into the, into the workforce, which we're seeing right now. And they have a different take. You want to talk a little bit about that? What motivates yeah, so just what I'm finding so far with Gen Z is they operate much like the millennials, but um, diversity, uh, altruism, diversity in particular is a big, big, big hot button with Gen Zs. Mm-hmm. Um, and they, they are, they were raised with the phone in their hand, right? So working with people of all cultures across the globe, embracing that, I see that as a real differentiator. Whether it's because it's a hot topic right now, or they just tend to be more open-minded. There, there seems to be less unconscious bias with respect to diversity with this generation. And I've observed that in my own kids as well. We have too, I think. Yeah, I bet you have. Yeah, uh, it's same exact situation. But I, it's interesting that you say they're raised with the phone and they have that multicultural, global. I think there's so much potential for where this generation can take us baby boomers. We're kind of on the cusp of baby boomers, but I don't consider myself a millennial. So yeah, I think there's a lot of opportunity for those Gen Z people to make us global, to think broader in the scopes of our right. business. And, but, and about diversity and diversity in multiple ways. Mm-hmm. Um, this generation seems to be very much about let you, know, you be you and I'll be me and you know we love each other and let's all work together. And it almost feels like there's no discrimination. There's no preconceived notions So here's an example. Um, What we've learned through the pandemic, one of the big lessons learned, people can be productive, arguably more productive, working from home. Mm -hmm. Now, my generation says, Mm -hmm. oh no, I want everybody under the roof in one office where I can see them, I know what they're doing. I don't have to worry that they're goofing off at home on my dime. This is how the boomer and older Gen X, this is how we think, right? Yeah. So we we were forced into this situation through the pandemic and studies show, and actually there's, you know, if you just Google it, there's there's a lot of data, but there's a Bloomberg study that um, they published uh, a study that, they've figured out that people are actually up to five plus percent more productive at home just because of a lack of a commute, right? So when you have a phone in your hand and you can work anywhere, anytime, the reality is your employees working at home are probably starting their day earlier. They're probably giving you more. When they're on the couch at night watching Netflix, they've got their phone in there. If if a candidate responds at night, they're emailing them back. So there's this whole, but that you have to shift your mindset. 
So lately, I've been having a lot of conversations with people about um, their hybrid model or lack thereof. I'm a firm believer if you are going to force people back into the office, if they want to come back, great. Hybrid is great. But if you're going to force that, you're going to lose top talent and it's going to be an inhibitor to recruiting top talent going forward. I think that's a huge, you know, in bright lights lesson learned. Yeah, I was literally Don't reading an article this morning. Words. Literally reading an article this morning from Johnny Taylor, the uh, exact title, but essentially the, he's the head of Sherm, talking about uh, we should expect 30% annual turnover. Not staffing industry, all businesses should expect 30% annual turnover. And Amy, you bring up a really interesting point about hybrid, allowing people to be remote. What's the most productive? What are you seeing your clients do? Are more of them mandating get back in the office or more of them saying, no, we're going to develop a remote culture? Are they all trying to balance hybrid? And if it's the latter, how are they doing it? Yeah, so most are balancing the hybrid model because they now recognize, they learned, oh, my remote, you know, I was looking at, I was watching how much time they were spending on me, uh, logged in and, you know, on the phone and God knows we can look at all that, right? So they were the, the naysayers were doing that and realized what their productivity didn't suffer. They were arguably more productive, so they've learned. So they're not, they're no longer most, most in, in my experience so far, are they're no longer fearing the remote work. And they're allowing people to come in. Usually what um, what I've seen most is half the staff works maybe one day, Wednesday, Friday in the office. The other half, and there may even be desk sharing. There may be, they may, may have made different, um, maybe uh, rented smaller space now, gotten out of their leases, but it's sort of a, um, uh, a um, staggered, right, in, in and out of the office. So half is in Monday, Wednesday, Friday, the other half Tuesday, Thursday. Perhaps there's some overlap if there's a group meeting. But um, I do have, I have had a couple that are firm believers know they've all got to be under my roof. And these are the folks that are having a really hard time finding recruiters because their candidates are coming in saying there's an expectation, particularly with this generation, mm -hmm. that they can work remotely. And so they, with the, what a candidate will hear is when the owner says or executive says, no, you know, that's, that's not how we do things here. We're all in the office five days a week. That might be a deal breaker. And I've had a couple of clients that I've had to kind of have that conversation with where, is this what you're hearing? If it's what you're hearing, you're, and candidates are pulling themselves out of the running, you're going to have to You have to change. Embrace it. Yeah. Have you seen the opposite where anybody going fully remote, just saying, you know what, yes, hybrid is so hard to manage? Actually, yes. Um, some have transitioned. I'm hearing from more firms I don't know whether this has just been a trend. I don't know that it's tied to the pandemic. I don't think it is, but I'm hearing from more, more individuals who started staffing firms in a fully remote scenario. And when I look at their financials, obviously without brick and mortar, um, they are, if they've done all the other right things, they're extremely profitable. It, it's clear to me that they have figured it out. Right. And these are the firms that are calling me that are two years, they're at 5 million. Right. And now how do I get to 10? How do I get to, 
So I'm seeing a lot of that too. I don't think you need brick and mortar. What about the, yeah. the industrial, industrial, the hospitality? Yeah. Do they still need to see their candidates in person to do interviews or can they, can they interview people over a phone? They're doing both. Some insist on putting eyes on them. And some firms, if listen, if, if you, depends on the skills you're serving and the industries, but if, if you demand on, uh, you uh, rely on walk-in traffic, Oh, no. There are some exceptions. I don't think in every staffing sector it's ideal to be fully remote by any means. But there are just as many that were doing phone interviews, that were not doing video interviews. I did not find the light industrial firms embracing video primarily because they were concerned about their candidates' limitations with video. So they were doing phone interviews. And you know, doing the I-9 paperwork and remotely and all of that. Um, I don't think they were quite as comfortable with that. And they had very high no-show rates. Um, but it was a necessity. Those firms, though, um, as soon as they could reopen, and I'm generalizing here, they did. As soon as they could reopen. With safety protocols in place, they did. Yeah, I want to actually back up a second to something you said that, triggered a thought in my mind. And, and you talked about um, industrial companies interviewing remotely, more staffing companies that are remote tend to be more profitable, have grown very quickly. I'm thinking about the issue the industry has right now with no call, no show, which has been, it's always been a challenge, but mm -hmm. it's worse now than it's ever been. There's, I mean, you, all you have to do is just turn the TV now and you can just see how many companies are struggling to get anyone to show up for a job opening. As a staffing company, are you impacted in managing no call, no show, whether you're remote or have physical offices? Does it make a difference? Uh, my opinion would be that it doesn't make a difference because people's motivators for not going to work um, are unique and specific to the pandemic, right? And some of the, as we know, the um, the, the relief. Um, and if you were making, if you were making less than most of my clients have done the math, if you were making under 17 to $20 an hour mm -hmm. with the federal stipend, you are better off financially staying home. Um, now, and this is not a political statement. This is, the, this is the reality, right? And so that worker says, and those workers are manufacturing, warehouse logistics, hospitality workers. These are the organizations. We've got a supply chain problem, right? Because in part, I heard last week, um, someone's uh, shipment of, in a restaurant, someone's shipment of um, a particular product is delayed because the company doesn't have drivers. The product is sitting in the warehouse. There aren't drivers to get the product down here. So, I mean, this is it's affecting everybody. Uh, so I think after September, some of that will be, um, some of this no call, no show will ease. It's like you said, Dave, it's always been a problem. Um, but I think we're in a very unique time right now. And I don't think it matters whether we're virtual or 
Besides the compensation side of that, are there other things that you're advising your clients to do to try to reduce that no call, no show? Uh, you know, if, if they serve a local market, obviously on-site check-ins, um, on, sign-on bonuses are working. And, you, you know, you, you sign up with us, you, you work a full week, your name goes into uh, our monthly drawing for a flat screen TV, other incentives. Um, I have one client that does just, she just does a heck of a job with that. She, her, all of her, her temps, what we would call temps, and she is in a, she's in the multifamily business. So um, all of her temps are team members. There is no differentiation between her internal and her contract staff. They're all invited to socials. Um, they're treated very well. They're trained. They come to orientation. They sign on for one of the things, first things she does, and it's a fairly small firm, the owner's still very, very involved in the business. But one of the first things she does is indoctrinate them into the, into the company's culture and get them to sign up for it and say, you know what, I love what you're doing here. I love your values, your mission, vision, culture. So they do all of this in orientation so that there's some investment on the part of the employee to almost, almost an investment not to let them down because they've embraced them as team members well, that's from the outset. Much better experience and they're part, they're building that relationship and really we all just want to be part of the group. So it, it really works. She, this is a very emotionally intelligent leader. She's capitalized on that. Sure. She's, she uses her strengths. She uses her team strengths. She doesn't make a decision without involving her team. She gets the final vote, of course, but she's got what I call, I just wrote about this. We'll go out in my Monday newsletter, but fiercely loyal employees. Mm -hmm. And therefore her no call, no show rate. I asked her recently, has that been a problem? And she said no more so than it was pre-pandemic. So I think there's a direct correlation. That's I agree. So uh, we, another topic that we, we hit on, but I'd love to drill into a little bit further. I'm seeing a lot of our clients whose recruiting challenge isn't just getting talent for their clients. It's hiring their own salespeople and recruiters. Are you seeing lots of problems with recruiting and retaining internal talent? Yes. You know, ASA's statistic on their latest survey that shows eight in 10 people visualize themselves in a new job in 12 months, I don't know if you saw that, is mm -hmm. scary. So I am having this conversation with all of my clients um, around uh, the things they need to be doing to retain people. So when they have turnover and they have an open seat though, they have an active opening, um, yeah, they're having a heck of a time. It's no easier for them than it is for their clients. The one thing that clearly doesn't work is posting the job, even if you create a fun ad and waiting for people to apply. So what, I, what I've been teaching people lately is the same old stuff that I learned you know, the, in the old days. And I wrote another blog post about this one. 
the three places to re to poach talent from retail hospitality and the car rental agencies enterprise rent a car in particular that blog post i got so many emails from people saying i my best salesperson came from enterprise or you know my my strongest manager was a retail manager before i hired her i came from retail that's how many years of business experience I actually have. I have 28 years in staffing and then I have another nine with Macy's in retail management. And I remember I was getting married. My husband had a quote, normal job, no nights and weekends for him. And I said, I'm done with this. I'm not doing nights and weekends. That by the way is the hook. That's the recruiting hook. Want to make more money and not with nights and weekends? You give that speech to everybody that impresses you in a retail store. I recruited somebody um, out of, uh, out of uh, Sam's club for one of my clients recently, a manager, somebody impresses you and they they're in the sales service business. You tap them. So you have to go proactively direct recruit and you have to be willing to accept people without industry experience and train them. Mm -hmm. So go find the right DNA. Those are great industries to go to. But back to me for a moment. I said to my husband, I'll never forget. There was an ad for then interim personnel, mm -hmm. which became Spirion, which became Ronstad. And it was for a Fort Lauderdale branch manager. And I said, I was a group manager at Macy's. So in one of the largest stores in the company. So I had a significant area of responsibility. I said, I'm going to be overqualified for this. I've heard of this temp thing. I know what temps are, but I'm not going to, in, in those days, I'm not going to fax the resume. My husband said, fax the resume. <laughs> to this day, he takes credit for me being in this industry. Within 15 <laughs> minutes, the branch manager of that branch who was replacing herself, smart company, you want to be promoted? You've got to replace you before I move you into that shop. So she, so she had a vested interest, saw my resume, called me, and the rest is history. That's a great story. Isn't it? It's a really great story. So, so yeah, and I, I, it, the transition was easy because I, I understood selling. I understood service. I understood the customer's always right, even when the customer's wrong. Yep. So look for the right DNA and go get it. Don't wait for it to come to you. That's, that's my advice. I remember many, many years ago being out to dinner with David and his parents and they're in, they were in the staffing industry and his mother recruiting the server because <laughs> she was yeah. so great. <laughs> yeah. And it, it's an old, it's, you know, it's not new news, but the reason that we talk about it and we've been doing it for so many years is because it works. Absolutely. It's about relationships once again and finding the right people and the right fit and, and values. There's another, uh, I lost it. I'm sorry. Go ahead, David. That's okay. So you've dated yourself, Amy, here. But I, I want to go back. So you were, you were at Sphere for a long time. You've been consulting a long time. You've had the opportunity to work with tons of staffing companies. What would you say is the biggest success that you've seen or you've experienced? I'm going to generalize. Uh, I spent, I've spent a lot of time over the years 
drawing correlations between what makes a firm high performance, as in defined by me as growing above market in their sector. And it is those, those things that I built the vital nine leadership disciplines around, in particular, very effective leadership of people. So it all, as we all know, it all starts with the leader and the culture the leader creates. So it's first and foremost leadership, strong leadership. It is standardization of process and it is blending accountability as in like in our industry it's performance management, it's establishing activity metrics for a recruiter and then sitting down with them in a one-on-one and coaching them up, uh, helping, helping them, uh, training them when they need some more retraining. It's investing in people um, that that's the formula, right? For success. It's great leadership, standardization of recruiting and sales process, and then inspecting what you set, well, setting expectations and then inspecting what you expect and having a formula, a consistent formula for that operating model that you repeat every single week. That's what does it. So is there, you mentioned culture and the importance of culture. Is there, are there common characteristics of cultures you've seen that are more successful? Yeah, they have a lot of fun. This, this can be a tough business. This can be a tough business. The owner or executive gets that um, they have to balance the people business, the challenges of the people business. Listen, we you know we, we tell our clients you you can't you can screen the heck out of it, out of somebody, but you cannot predict what a human being will do when they go to a job site. We know that mm-hmm. it's not, and it's something we can't necessarily fix. We can respond quickly, but. We know how frustrating this can be, particularly at the desk on the front lines. It's exhausting and it can get, so on their bad days, recruiters and salespeople in this industry can go very, very low. The the smart owner keeps it fun, little contests. All right, guys, we are, no-show rate was high last week. What are we going to do differently this week? And they brainstorm about it. All right, if we can drop our no-show rate by X percent, I'm bringing in pizza on Friday. So it does not have to be expensive things. I had one firm, high, high growth firm, that passes around an ugly statue. When you have the best sales performance, that, that ugly, ugly statue is highly coveted. They have fun with it. I get the statue for the week. Uh, now I want to keep it, right? So, but that's fun. So yeah, there's the, the group dinners and happy hours and investing in them with continuous learning and bringing speak, speakers in and all of that. But it's a culture of fun. It's a culture of high performance and fun. We're all going to hold each other accountable. We're going to call each other out. We're going to operate like a family. But we're going to have a lot of fun in what is otherwise a very tough, business. It's tough business. So that, that fun culture, I think is the hard part of being fully remote or hybrid. And I'm I'm interested to hear, you know, how do you balance those two things? Because it's much more easy to have a pizza party. If people are in the office having pizza with you. 
And that is probably what kept people up at night, kept owners and execs up at night um, with this transition. It was how do I keep my team engaged? So I saw all kinds of things. I saw immediately virtual happy hours. Um, I saw more virtual meetings, not to check on people, but just to check in with people. Again, from the firms that were led by, they're led by people who understand, but here's the top, at the top, top, top of the list, and I think it's a very good thing. It was empathy. It was, hi, Vicki, how you doing today? Let's just have a brief chat. Well, you know, I'm not doing so, I'm not doing so great. I'm scared of this virus. And now I've got, you know, my toddler who's normally in family daycare can't go to daycare. So I'm trying to work and I've got the you know, toddler on my knee and it's really hard. Mm-hmm. And having the owner exec say, you know what? I get it. It's fine. You do what you can do when you can do it. Mm-hmm. And extending that trust went a long way. So empathy, leading with empathy was essential. I, I think over the last year. And I think that's a very good thing. I hope that sticks. I do too. I really do. We talk about it being caring and, you know, caring, we're actually caring about in our company, we talk about caring about the customer, caring about our teammates, you know, checking in because we're isolated so much, maybe not as much now, but we were and just caring. They're human beings first. That's, that's right. And I don't think, well, firms that, so commonalities in firms that, that whose growth stagnates or declines, I found to be number one at the top of the list, poor leadership, absent, poor leadership defined as, I've probably, probably written a blog post on this too, but defined mm-hmm. as, um, as absent, you know, they pop in and out when they want. Um, I have, I had one firm call me and the owners are semi-retired and their firm is really a cash cow or had been for them. They had not been investing in the firm. They'd been spending six months in Florida, leaving their staff to run it. And they had somebody kind of in a babysitting role. And they're wondering why they they didn't invest in technology. Processes were manual. And I said, you know, you don't need me to tell you what the issues are. I think you know what the issues are. It's more about your commitment to addressing the issues. I constantly have to remind people that they're not paying me to give them the good news all the time. (laughs) Just just a reminder, um, and and I've seen it before and it's fixable. So I, you know, of course I lift them up as I'm giving them the bad news, but I I do have to remind them that um, I can't tell you necessarily what you want to (laughs) hear when you called me to help you fix something, but I can tell you how we're going to fix it. All right. um, Kind of transitioning one last big question to talk about the future. So thankfully we're getting back to -to face-to-face conferences. I just had an opportunity to go to the Ohio staffing and search conference. So great to see people in person again, but a common concern that I'm hearing or interest both at the same time is about automation and particularly what the big guys are doing going online. So, Amy, 
what is your view? You're working with a lot of small to mid-sized companies. If, as they look at the next two, three years, is it going to be about technology, automation, creating online staffing? What's going to be the key to their success? And they have to embrace the digital, in short, they have to embrace the digitization of the, of the industry. Here's what I, I, I point them in a few different directions to people who are smarter than me about all these recruiting technologies. Um, and then uh, so I make, make sure they know, that, you know what tools ASA has available and the firms that consult in this space and so forth on tech stacks. But embrace technology, look at where your redundant tasks are and get those automated. And there's two high payoff areas. They're at the front end and the back end of the cycle for both selling and recruiting. The front end is about let's automate all that pre-screening. Make sure your online app is short. Otherwise, abandon rates are going to be high. So look at it. If you're going to invest in technology, look at, look at what's done on the front end so that your recruiters can artfully then step in and spend the time making the match, interviewing the candidate, submitting, connecting with the client, and onboarding, right? Handing them off. Um, front end for redundant tasks. So things like pre-screens, et cetera. And then back end for candidate engagement. We're famous in this business, not because we want to, but it's just always been an inefficiency. We're famous for putting people on assignment, having their assignment end and have them, having them just quietly go away and work for another staffing company. So if, but if they're gonna be pinged consistently with Hey, Dave, we know your, you know, we know your assignment's ending in two weeks. We have another job for you. If they can automate that, mm -hmm. we used to rely, have to rely on remember running a report, who's ending, and can't do that. So retention, redeployment will drive your recruiting cost down exponentially. So you have to invest. Um, there's a lot you can automate. Don't overbuy because I've had customers do that. Mm -hmm. And they called me and said, I bought nine. I've just been oversold. I bought nine recruiting technologies and none of them are being used. Okay, let's go all the way back. So there's help available to them, but they must do it. In short, to grow, they, they must do it to compete. How about beyond technology? What else do you think that the small to mid-sized business is going to have to do to compete? Um, I think it goes back to what we were talking about earlier. I think understand what makes this generation, this new generation of people entering the workforce, understand what drives them and motivates them. Um, build some diversity in your firm in multiple ways, gender, race, uh, cultural background, build that diverse team um, and try to remove that unconscious bias. And I, I'm not, if, if this is not a statement around um, uh, individuals being racist or, but it's just, it's, it's what the true unconscious bias that can happen if we're not careful. And I think that, um, yeah, I, this generation is all about it. The world is all about it. And so you don't want a bunch of people who are replicas of you, who think exactly like you and behave exactly like you. 
running your firm. You want some different perspectives. You want to meet candidates with different perspectives. That's great. So. Well, I think it's time probably to wrap it up. Um, the one thing I was thinking about before that I had, I couldn't remember was the retention. We were talking about um, hiring, but we, we didn't get to the retention part. And I think what you just said really does sum it up a bit, but can you sum up if eight out of 10 people are looking for a job or will be looking for a job in the next 12 months, how do we retain those people? What is the best thing to do? What is your summary here? Well, I have a lot of clients throwing money at people. And that's not necessarily a bad thing, particularly if they were underpaid to begin with. Listen, if, if you can make $15 an hour going to stock shelves at Target or Walmart, Oh yeah. So let's, let's get, let's get real about what the job is worth and, and make an investment in retaining your team. It's going to be a heck of a lot more expensive for you to turn that over. Mm -hmm. so I do, I do think money, listen, there's upward pressure on wages. That's the way it is. Recognize that they're getting calls, get out in front of that and proactively give them more opportunities to make money. So money's a big piece of it and then allow them to work the way they want to work. I think those would be the two that are at the top of the list. Don't force anybody back into the office. If someone needs to work fully remotely, be okay with that. Get them set up you know, ergonomically and from a technology perspective, get them set up well to do that. Pay for that stuff for them to have a home office. So it's investing in your people. Um, I have a number of clients right now taking their teams because we can't go face to face again, uh, holding meetings. Team, I have one doing a retreat. She's spending a fortune taking her, she rented an executive home. I'm gonna go spend a half day with them, bringing her entire team. So the things we used to do just for leadership reach all the way down into the recruiter trench and embrace the entire team. No one's going to leave someone who's taking them on a trip to Florida to stay in an executive home for five days, all expenses paid. Who's going to leave? Who will want? So those are the things. And it does require an investment. I guess some, some, to sum it up, Vicki, it's taking care of your people. Take extra good care of your people. Right back where we started. <laughs> that makes so much sense. This that makes so much sense. Painful. Well, Amy, thank you so much. Great advice. Um, now, we, we didn't spend as much time talking about your consulting practice because we went on some great tangents. But when people want to know more about Bingham Consulting, what's the best way to get a hold of you? Uh, my website, BinghamCP.com. Um, my LinkedIn profile. Give me a call, 407-292-6280. I do answer my phone and I love to talk to people. Um, so that's the easy, those are the easy ways. I think beyond that though, I would like to mention that I am, I have the honor and pleasure of leading the pre-conference workshop at Staffing World, which is Tuesday, the 28th of September, 9.30 to 1.30. 
And we are going to dig into some of that content that I, I teach millennial mentors that we do on a surface level there, but people it's, it's, it's about people and process. It's two part workshop. I'm going to be giving a lot of IP away. I'm going to be teaching. It's going to be a roll up your sleeves workshop. It's very affordable. So there's an extra registration associated with that. And you have to be going to staffing world, but we're going to have an action packed four hours that morning. That sounds Fantastic. great. And um, you can be, get through being tired from Amy's course. Cause we will be co-sponsoring a party at night at staffing world. So on Tuesday plan for <laughs> awesome. a great day in Denver. Yeah. Awesome. <laughs> I, I can't wait to see everybody in Denver. Looking forward to it. Well, Amy, thank you so much. Really appreciate you taking time to be part of today's show. Thank you. Absolutely. Thanks for inviting me. What a fun conversation with Amy. She's got so much energy and she can talk. <laughs> she can, but I, I don't know. I'm just totally disappointed. How could you live in Orlando? I've never heard of Gideon's. That's just I wrong. know it is totally wrong. And I really hope everybody that's listening gives Gideon's a chance. They don't ship. You have to go to Orlando. Um, I love the company. I want to see them be successful. That's my last plug there. So what did you learn from Amy today? Um, a few things, but um, you know, when we were talking right after the interview with Amy, one of the things you mentioned is that you know, staffing always comes down to the same thing. It's about relationships. And we hear all this tech, 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 tech talk. And Amy did point out very nicely the value of tech, but she had some really good examples of companies that are succeeding by building a culture that's fun, that's about my people, that empathizes with the challenges they're facing, whether it's because I had a fall off or I've got just a nasty client or my kids can't go to daycare, what do I do? How do I create that culture that's empathetic, that's fun, that's human? Again, we're the staffing industry. How can we create that culture internally that's about relationships? So that was one of my big, I would say, takeaways or maybe slaps in the head that says, yeah, this is obvious stuff. But when we're all thinking about automation and digitization and digital transformation, we forget about people. And really our business comes back to people. How about you, Vicki? Yeah, ultimately, staffing is a people business. We should be the best at, at dealing with people, right? So Amy said, you know, my favorite things, people, process, and results. That's the core to her vital nine with her millennial mentors program. Um, she mentioned it in, in how you run a staffing business. She mentioned it on retention, she on recruiting, and she mentioned it multiple times in that conversation. It just keeps coming people, process, and results. Yeah. Another thing she talked about that was kind of eye-opening to me is she really was analyzing the different generations. And I sort of hate lumping people together saying, you're a millennial, so you act this way. I think that's completely wrong. However, when she talked about Gen Z and the fact that they're complete mobile natives, they live on their phones and their feelings towards inclusion. And I'm thinking about all the companies over the past year who are doing DE&I and trying to figure out how do we bring that into our organization, instead of bringing it in top down, maybe we should be looking to bring it in bottom up. Maybe we should be making the, the Gen Zs, the people who are naturally unbiased, make them the leaders of how we develop systems that help ensure that DNI isn't something we have to practice. It's just what we are. I really, I, I liked her perspective on that a great deal. I like that point, David. That's a, that's an interesting concept. And I do think that that would help also with, you know, where we're headed in this industry and getting those, the Gen Z engaged in 
the work if, if they were truly part of that inclusion. Um, that, that stat that she mentioned, eight and 10 people, they're looking for a new job in the next 12 months, that, that's terrifying. And the whole discussion about retention and you know, finding, play, finding good people and looking to other industries to find those people, to bring in people with the same values and the same service mentality, I guess. And then finding ways to retain by actually treating them the way you would want to be treated with that empathy and trust. Yeah, I love that she said, um, we need to think about doing things for the entire team that used to be things we just used to do for the leadership team. And you know, now maybe companies have less office space, they're saving money. Um, that's money that should be probably plowed back into experiences. What's it like to work for your company? What's the benefit besides freedom of hours, besides paycheck, of being part of a remote organization and these experiences when you get together really will differentiate one remote company from another remote company? Because if you have two remote companies and you don't have the experiences, it's just going to be about paycheck. Yeah, and I truly believe that pay is really important and we should be paying our people um, a really a good, strong living wage and what they're, what they're worth. But once you get to that point, it's really about the experience and the relationships and how they feel about what they're contributing and that dignity that they're bringing to the job. And we have to remember that with those experiences and treating people the way that we should be treating them. Take care of your people. Awesome. Well, lots of good tips from Amy. And thanks, uh, Vicki, for the observations from you as well. Um, for everybody listening, hope you enjoyed this episode of Secrets of Staffing Success. If you like what you're hearing, um, we'd love to have a review, a rating, email us with feedback. We'd love to know what we can do to make this show better for you. And until next time, thank you for listening. Bye.